Check, 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 check. Here we go. We are the church. We are the church. And all who believe in Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, that he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God, all of those who believe that, they are the church. In Greek, ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones who follow Jesus and are his hands and feet and go into a lost and broken world. They are the church. Jesus calls us, those who follow him, to be salt to be light and he tells us to go into this world get out of these walls and go and we can go boldly and confidently to be his witnesses because jesus declared i am building my church against which the powers of hell will not prevail we are the church and let me remind you in the words of the apostle paul as he told the Corinthians, he said, you are the body of Jesus Christ. And each one individually a part of it. We are the church. Now I know that we are part of what we, as we profess in the Apostles' Creed, that we are part of the larger church that goes through all time and uh, in all places but god has ordained and designed that his church would be lived out in the context of a local environment god designed it so that our faith and our discipleship would be lived out in the context of do not miss that that we are that our faith was designed to be lived in the context of the local church and that's what we see throughout the new testament whether they were in berea or they were in ephesus or they were in thessalonica or they were in rome it was always the local church that was defined as the church the people of god who were called out ecclesia to follow jesus christ to be his witnesses in the world and to give God glory, those groups of people were called the church. And we see that it was the pattern of the Apostle Paul, no matter what town or what city that he went to, is he brought the good news of Jesus Christ. He didn't consider that his work was finished until there was a local church of gospel-believing people who were growing in their faith, who were living this life of faith together with one another and reaching out and living out the mission of Jesus Christ. We need to be part of the local church because that is how God designed his body to live and to function in this world. My son Jordan and I, this past summer, 
before I went completely down with my back, we did a trip to Chicago because it finally occurred to us on our journey of trying to go to uh, all the, the ballparks and watch a baseball game in all the major league ballparks that we had never been to the White Sox. Don't know how we missed Chicago, the White Sox, but we did. So we did a, a quick trip to Chicago. Now, I don't know how many of you enjoy driving in Chicago. How many, it, it's just a, it's a pleasure. It's a, <laughs> and what would happen is you get in the middle of downtown Chicago and your GPS just kind of goes kaput, right? It just, because all the buildings, it doesn't know where you are. It has no idea. It is virtually uh, unhelpful. And so we're in this downtown part of Detroit and I'm trying to get to our hotel. And so we're just kind of navigating old school, right? Old school, looking at signs, looking at the rows. And so I'm like, oh, there's a hotel. We got to turn here. And George's like, no, 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 Dad. You can't turn here. It's a one-way street. I'm like, really? Is it, maybe it's just a suggestion. <laughs> That's always what I say to my family. I go, oh, it's just a suggestion. Things work best if you follow that. But, you know, maybe we can turn the other way. But, but no, we, we cannot turn the other way. So we have to get to our hotel and we turn... You know, we gotta, we gotta go down the one-way street. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just hang a right and we'll go around the block, but you get to that street, and what is it? It's a one-way street, and I can't turn on that street, so I have to keep going down. And you go down, pretty soon I'm like 30 blocks away from where our hotel is, and I just can't turn anywhere because it's all one-way streets. And very frustrating to me. I don't know if you've had that same frustration in driving particularly Chicago or other cities or other places where like, yeah, I want to go here, but it's a one-way street and I can't get to where I want to go. And, and I bring that up because I think some people feel that about the church, that it's just a one-way street. And they get frustrated with the church because they say, all the church wants is my time. All the church wants is my money. All the church wants is my attendance. And it's a one-way street. It's just about me giving and giving and pouring into the church. But what I want you to see this morning as we think about committing our life to, to God's purposes and following Jesus, which then places us in the context of his church, is that our relationship with the church is not a one-way street. But the church also feeds into you. It's a two-way street. And so just briefly, I want to talk about some of those ways that the church feeds into your life. The first one is this. The first one is this, is that in the church, you are equipped for ministry. You are equipped for ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says to us, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. This is an amazing verse. Amen. An amazing verse. I love that. We're, we're training up our littlest ones. Thank you, Poppy. All right. Uh, so the rest of you can, can gather that same excitement. So uh, we, uh, God has done a fabulous thing here because he, right, he tells us, I want you to live on mission. I want you to go into the world. I want you to be my people in the world. And then we go, well, I'm not sure how to do that. But what does this verse say that Jesus did? He gave to the church. He gifted the church with leaders, with ministers to guide and to grow the church. And specifically, the word that we use here is to equip. So we say, well, I don't know how to be a part 
the mission of Jesus Christ and what he's doing. Well, look at what Jesus says he did. Jesus himself gave the church leaders to equip the church to do the ministry. Now, some of us may need to wrestle with that because you need to acknowledge that those that Jesus gave to the church, he didn't say he gave them apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do all the ministry of the kingdom. He doesn't say that. Yet a lot of people expect that, that we have pastors in our church who can do that. We have leaders in our church who can do that. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that the saints, the body, they're the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the world in the way that Jesus designed it is I'm going to give to the church leaders, pastors, teachers who can equip the ministers to go out and live on purpose and with passion for me into this world so they can be salt and light. And so the church will equip you. Thus we have equipping classes. Thus we have a lot of training going on. A lot of Bible studies going on. A lot of events going on that we are trying to pour our lives into our church family so that they will know how to minister. You are being equipped here at Orchard Hill. The second thing that I want to say is that you also are matured through teaching. Matured through teaching. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. A little segment of this equipping of the church is that Jesus gave pastors and teachers. He gave teachers to be able to handle the word of God rightly and to be able to come before this word and seek God and, and know how to study it and interpret it and then teach the church family so that they understand God's will and God's ways. Right? Because God says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So how are we to live as, as God's people within the church and within the kingdom of God? According to his word. Walking that path that he lights, that, is, that he lights up through his word. And we know that it's a narrow path. So we got to study this. we got to study God's word to make sure that we are on the narrow path that leads to life and not walking on the wide road that leads to destruction. And so here we take the Bible seriously. And your teachers are here to equip, to inform you on how to live according to God's word. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, the studies have shown that across the evangelical church that only 10% of all evangelicals hold a biblical worldview. Now I would suspect they didn't interview anybody from Orchard Hill because I would hope that our numbers would be way higher than 10%. But that certainly is on my heart, that's on my commitment, is that I gotta teach my church family to walk rightly before God. And that's a commitment that the church makes to you. Close to that is this third one, which is you are guided on your walk. You're guided on your walk. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, have confidence in your leaders. And submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Well, there's a lot here. You have leaders that have been given by the church. We've talked about that. We have our pastors. We have our, our shepherding elders, our shepherding deacons 
who in our governing board who meet monthly, who meet regularly to, to pray before God, to seek God on behalf of this church family. There's a lot of prayer that goes on in those meetings as we seek God and say, God, how do we faithfully lead this, this church family and where should we go? How can we, how can we lead them? And so this says have confidence in those that God has put in authority. In authority. We don't like that word in, our, in, in America today, that somebody's in authority. And then to those who are in authority, we need to submit. Wow. Now we're really in some, some ground that most in our culture do not like to hear. But that's the way God has ordained his church to work. He's saying, I am giving to the church leaders who are looking out for you, who are, who are impassioned with my, my word and with my church and with my kingdom and who seek each and every day to make sure that the people of God are walking in the way that they should walk. That they are growing into more and more Christ-likeness. That the church is living out its purposes according to the scriptures and being the salt and light. And this group must give an account. Do you see that in here? They must give an account. I always tell our leaders when they step up, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure that weighs on you here. I have it. Pastor Laura has it. Pastor Greg has it. Our shepherding team has it. We have to give an account for how we guide this church family at the end of the day. We're held accountable for that. And I think you can know that, that that's how we're operating and how we're working. And so as we engage with you, and maybe there will be a time that we come to you and say, you know what, we're not sure that you're walking exactly as Jesus wants you to walk. Because what did the verse just before that we read in 2 Timothy say? God's word is profitable for teaching. Yes! But what about reproof and correction? We don't like that so much, do we? But every once in a while, we have to offer reproof and correction and say, you're supposed to be on this path, but it looks like you wandered away. Hey, come on back. Get yourself in the path, moving towards Jesus Christ where life is found. It's a path that the Timothy verse says is training for righteousness will help train you to walk in the right ways of God. And when that moment occurs, and we talk about this at every one of our meetings, is there somebody in our church family that, that we are held accountable for who is walking wayward and outside the bounds of what Jesus Christ tells us? That's not judging. It's God just tells us lots of ways and lots of truths on how we are to walk. And so if we see somebody not walking in those ways, it is we're held accountable to lovingly bring them back with grace and truth. And isn't it a great thing to know that you have people looking out for you? That they're looking out to make sure that you are walking in the ways of Jesus Christ? And when they come and when we engage, our posture is to submit. That doesn't always happen. I will just tell you, in all my years of doing ministry here, usually when it comes time to reproof or correct, the posture is not one of submission, it is this. Forget you, who are you to judge? We're leaving this church. That's what it is. And my heart is always saddened. Because what would have happened if they humbly would have said, yeah, let me take that in. Let me listen. Let me pray over that. Let me meditate. Can we talk about that some more? And maybe instead of continuing in that wayward walk, they would be looking more and more like Jesus Christ. That's how God designed his church. It's a beautiful thing. 
I have people looking out for me. You have people looking out for you. We look out for one another. We are guided on our walk. A fourth one, you are loved by others. In the life of this church, you are loved by others. We're going to get a little off from the leadership here. And notice here it says, John 13, 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another. There we are. We're the one another's. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone out in the world will know that you are my disciples. How are they going to know it? If you love one another. You'd have to be a brick to miss this point, right? We need to love one another. But notice what Jesus did. And, and, and sometimes it just gets me because, right, the Old Testament law was do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Jesus, he comes and he fulfills the law, doesn't he? And Jesus always dials it up. Ooh! Just when I think I'm good. Just when I think Jesus always dials it up. So he said, here's what the Mosaic law was. But you know what God's really looking for? That you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, he just changed the standard, didn't he? Yep. Because how did Jesus love us? With self-sacrificing love by dying on the cross. And he gives these words just after he stooped and he washed the disciples' feet. He says, now that I have given you an example, you go and do likewise. This community needs to be marked by love. And it's one of the most beautiful things that I hear over and over again of why people stick here at Orchard Hill. It's because they feel loved. They feel loved. But this is all of us loving like Jesus loved. We're looking for our brothers and sisters. We're looking to those who are new. We're looking to those who are in our church family and we are loving them. And see, this is one of the reasons why we ask people to sort of stake their claim to know who is in the, in the local church here at Orchard Hill so we know who to extend our love to. Yes, we are to look out for those who are outside of the church, but Jesus' words here are for those of us who are following him and are part of the body of Jesus Christ. He's saying this is how they'll know that you're following me is if you love one another. And so we need to know, who is it that we love? The same way when we talked about guiding people. We need to know who's here. Who do we guide? Our leaders aren't called to guide uh, all of the world. Our leaders aren't called to guide all of Walker. Our leaders aren't called to guide the neighborhood over there. Our leaders are called to guide those who make Orchard Hill their church home. So it's important for us to know, in a sense, and we see this in the New Testament, who was in the body of Christ. Not everybody's in. You come in through your faith in Jesus Christ. And then there are those who are outside of the body of Christ. Do we have responsibilities to them? You bet we do. But our focus is on this community as we are being a light and a witness that people are going to look at us and they're going to see this group is different. They don't argue with each other like we hear people arguing outside. They aren't leaving anybody alone. They're not letting people just fend for themselves. They're loving each other and taking care of one another. That's a responsibility on all of us, to love one another. One other thing that I want to say, and there's probably more that I could go on here, but I'll, I'll stop here with this one. The last one is that we will stir you to action. Stir you to action. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, 
not forsaking our own assembling together, as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. It was the Apostle James who said, faith without works is dead. And so for in order for our faith to be alive, in order for this community to have a, a faith that is burning bright, we need to be living it out through love and deeds like Jesus showed us, right? To care for the poor, to care for the widows, to, to clothe those who don't have clothes, to live out justice in this world. Jesus says, this is what we need to do. This is our mission. This is how you live. And so what we need to do is we need to, to stimulate, or some of the Bibles will say, stir one another towards those love and good deeds. Because we can get kind of complacent. We can get kind of apathetic, right? We just kind of go through the motions. Or we even find that the world sweeps over us. And we start getting the values of the world, which is all consume, consume, consume. The values of the world is chart your way, get your purposes, do your things. The ways of the world are step on the others so you can make it on the way to the top. We can get engulfed in this world, and so when we come together, one of the things that we have to do is to stir each other to remember who we are and whose we are, that we're Jesus, we belong to Jesus Christ, we're his people, and we're going to live differently in this world. And so we stir one another. The Greek word here uh, for this is really, um, it's like to give a jab, so you have to respond. Kind of like when I fall asleep while we're watching a movie in the theater, and then an elbow comes into the side, right? Boom, and you're like, okay, I'm watching. I know what's going on, you know? You're like, uh, I know what's happening. That's, that's what we're supposed to do to each other, to jab each other, to make us respond. And so one of the responsibilities we have here is to do that for one another. And how awesome it would be if we, we slowly transform our time together after the service to engage in this kind of discussion with one another. How are you living out the purposes of Jesus? How have you lived his way instead of just our chit-chat about uh, how, how good U of M did yesterday and how bad the lions are going to do today, that we would have a conversation about the kingdom of God and where, how are you living it out? What ways have you seen God at work in your life? Where are you struggling with this? How can I jab you and prod you and encourage you to live the life of faith? That's what we need to do with one another when we have fellowship time. We need to stir one another onward into our actions. These five actions are what the church brings into your life. It's equipping you, it's maturing you, it's guiding you, it's loving you, it's stirring you. Can you see why we need the church? We see in the life of the early church, Acts 2, 42, we see a, a picture of the early church in action. And we read these words. Acts 2, 42 through 47, it says, The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone 
who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's a picture of the church in action. And I just want you to notice at the very beginning how, what it says. It says, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. The opposite of devoting is dabbling. Right? De devoting is that you're committed to something, you're steadfast, you show up uh, all the time, you're, you're engaged. Dabbling is like, it's here and there, you try it now and then. Uh, I am devoted, think about this, I'm devoted to my cats. I feed them, I play with them, I built a catio for them. Uh, they have more things to jump on uh, as possible. I even talked to Amy yesterday, I saw in a magazine that you can get cat advent calendars where you open a door each day with a treat behind it and I thought it would help lead my cats into the spirit of Christmas and, and, you, and I was told that was too much. I don't think so. I, I'm devoted to my cats, but I dabble with my bonsai trees. Thus, I have three dead ones in my garage. Because I forget to water them, I forget to prune them, I forget to fertilize them, I leave them by the heater, uh, the cats will eat them. There's all kinds of things going around. I'm devoted to one, which does well. <laughs> they have life. The other, I dabble, and not so much. And we see that here, that they were devoted to it. Devoted to it. And that's what Jesus asks of us, to be devoted. Because he says, you can't, you can't love two different things. You can't love two masters. You're going to be, you're going to love one or you're going to hate the other. You're going to be devoted to one or you're going to despise the other. You, you can't have two. You need to be devoted to it. And I think that he gets to the heart of that when he, when he calls us to, to be a part of this thing called the church and his community and his, his body when he simply says, follow me. He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. That says to me, that's devotion, right? Because there's no going back once you take up your cross because the cross means I'm dying to this and I'm giving my life to this. But it's not something that we do with drudgery. Because we know, as Jesus says, if you remain in me, you will have life and you will have it abundantly. This thing that we do together in following Jesus, and we are the body of Jesus Christ together, we live together, it's about love. And it's about life. And it's about righteousness. And it's about the kingdom of God. And it's about all that is good and all that is perfect of God. That's what it's about. And yet somehow the enemy sometimes deceives us and goes, oh, no, it's just a drudgery. Why do you want to give your life to that? Jesus says, give your life to this. Why? Because I died for it. I died on the cross so that you could be made right with God and then you could come together. You could come together as God's people who are made right by him and, and glorify your God and serve me and then love the world and, and by loving the world, you'll draw them into this kingdom of, of, of God. We need to be a part of this community that Jesus calls the church. It's good. Jesus said in a parable, 
he told him, he said, a, a man found a treasure in a field. And when he found it, we won't get into all the cultural ramifications here, when he found it, he buried it. And then he went and he sold everything he had and he bought the field. But as Jesus told that story, he said the man found the treasure in the field and he buried it. And then the word in the, in the parable, it's in Matthew uh, 13, I believe. Matthew 13, Jesus says, the man went in joy and sold everything he had with joy. Why? Because he knew that this treasure here was worth more than anything that, that he could have on the face of this earth. And that is true here, people. Our life with Jesus Christ, our life together, this is a foretaste of what we are going to experience in heaven together. This is where life is found. Moth and rust cannot destroy what Jesus is building through his church and one day we will all be raised gloriously and stand before his throne and be able to sing our praises to sing our hallelujahs for all that he has done it's a beautiful thing and so enjoy I am hoping that you will say yes I want to be a part of that I believe as pastor Laura talked about a couple weeks ago I believe in Jesus Christ and what he has done for me do you believe in Jesus Christ well you know what then you're part of the church. And as Greg shared with us last week, then we start walking in the ways of Jesus Christ. And we commit ourselves to growing. Why? Because God wants us to be mature. We are trying to strive each day to look more and more like Jesus Christ. And so, so we grow and we, we serve the church with our gifts so that this body can be built up and be strong here on earth. And we connect our lives with one another because we know that iron sharpens iron and I need you to grow, you need me to grow, we need one another to grow. And we reach out and we serve because Jesus told us to. And so we're obedient to go. And we live that life of discipleship. And as we do that, we plant our flag in the local church and we say, I believe this is a place that teaches the word and will help me to grow I will be equipped, they will love me, they will care for me. This is a place where I can do life as God wants it done. And I'm hoping that you today can make that commitment and say, yes. And in your joy, you're like, yeah, sign me up for that. What could be better than that? I want to be a part of that. But notice that you, you can't dabble in it. You're going to have to be devoted to it. And so that's what we're asking. So as you have that commitment card, which is located on the ends of your pews, we've asked you to maybe hold one throughout the, maybe you've had one in your hands throughout uh, this whole journey we've been together, but maybe you need a fresh new one. They're at the end of the pews. And just look at those, because it really is talking about all the things we talked about in the messages. And as the shepherding elders work to put this together, it really reflects the commitments that many of us made when we stood here and said, I profess in Jesus Christ. And so maybe for some of you today, this would be a brand new thing, and hallelujah for that. You sign that and say, I'm following Jesus today. It's the first time I'm going to commit to that. That means you step from, from, life to de from death to life in this day. That's great. Some of us, maybe we've just gotten a little uh, apathetic in our journey. Maybe we need to come and just renew that commitment and say, Jesus, I'm here. You can count on me. I'm back at it. 
I don't know what it is for you, what level of commitment that you need to make today, but we decided to have this day called Renewal Day, where we can step forward again and commit ourselves to living uh, our life faithfully with Jesus and in the life of his church. And so as we sing this last song together, I'm just going to ask you to pray over this. Uh, let the Holy Spirit speak to you in whatever way he convicts and moves you. And if you feel like you want to renew this commitment, I just invite you to actually get up out of your pew this morning and make your way forward uh, over and lay your card at that table or lay it here on the platform or on this table over here. This is between you and God. We're not going to collect these and then follow up on them and, in some legalistic way. This is between you and God, and we just want to give you an opportunity uh, to make that move, to step towards Jesus and declare uh, your renewal and your commitment to him. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll sing that last song together. And let the Holy Spirit work, and may God renew your commitment in this day. God, we thank you for uh, your words uh, here that we've been able to look at over the last few weeks, and, and we've been able to look at the beautiful thing that you have done through Jesus Christ, creating a, uh, a beautiful body of believers for yourself. And God, we want to live into that. And so in this day, as we gather here, as we think through our commitment and what that means and, and what you ask of us when you turn to those first disciples and you said, follow me, and they threw down their nets and immediately followed you, they didn't look back, God. We ask that we might have that same consideration this morning. And Holy Spirit, would you come and lead us and, and guide us and show us what it is we need to do, how it is we need to more faithfully follow you. And so we turn this next moment over to you as an offering, God, to you of our lives, saying we're all in. We are all in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.